Welcome back to the little office above the butcher where we're sitting here telling stories. This week we have with us Jessica Kozak, who is an incredible actress and a graduate of the Upright Citizens Brigade Improvisational Comedy School. Yes, yeah. She performs in movies, in television pilots and television shows, and at independent theaters all around town. So welcome, Jess. Thank you, Jenny. <laughs> we were lucky enough to meet Jess through her... Well, no, wait a second. Have you been married yet or are you still no. affianced? Okay. Affianced. I feel like... I've lost Is track really of that. Is really a term? Yeah, dude. Is it French? I guess. Yeah. It's the, the whole word fiance. It's just yeah. not a fun word. Like, but it feels douchey. <laughs> yeah, that's where oh, I was going with fiance. this. <laughs> it's like, oh, I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, we met Jess through the guy that uh, she is going to marry. Um, yes, yes. And also with us today, we have a dog who's scratching. Please sit. That um, wasn't me. No. <laughs> it was Nick. Nick. That was me. <laughs> um, so we have with us today Nick Holly, who is a manager, a writer, a producer who helped create the ABC series Sons and Daughters, and helped create the career of my husband, Matt Flanagan, and his writing partner, Dave McHugh. That is the highlight of my career. Yeah. <laughs> So we're super psyched to have Nick here and Jessica because today we are telling stories that involve that very amorphous, hard to pin down, and yet instantly identifiable sinking feeling. Mm. That sinking feeling, that feeling you get in your gut when you realize something is about to go horribly wrong or is in the process of going horribly wrong or worse you're at home late at night and you realize something went horribly wrong and I did not catch it ahead of time yeah I got a feeling something's wrong and I know it shouldn't have to take this long yeah I got a feeling something strange something in the air man feeling strange So I thought I would kick it off with a story about my first two years in Los Angeles, which really can be properly defined as one perpetual sinking feeling after another for two straight years. Because I came here in February of 2002 from New York City. Born and raised New York City girl, total Upper West Side, knew more about Gilbert and Sullivan than the Mets and the Yankees, could not be more Upper West Side, vaguely elitist. Well, I like the term vaguely elitist. Like you're not fully committed to it, but you, you're like, it's there. Yeah, vaguely elitist is what happens when you're poor, but you're raised with opera. Like that's... <laughs> so uh, I came out here in 2002, and the stated reason for coming out here was that I got a job in the Los Angeles Bureau of CBS News. The real reason that I came out here was because I met a guy. Classic. Classic. Yeah, he's sitting right over there. Yeah. So the um, it was of paramount importance that the guy not really know that the real reason I came out here was because I was probably, and against all known advice, going to marry him. I had sort of targeted him as the object of my future marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And he now it like, all comes out. So good watching this. <laughs> the first place that I moved into, this is all about like where I moved into in these first two years and how it kept tearing a hole in my gut. So the first place I moved was immediately into Matt's place briefly while I looked for a place of my own because my job like had not quite started at CBS. So I was like a little poor, didn't have any stuff. And so you yeah. came out, you said, I'm moving out. Yeah, we had been I'm dating. I'm just going to stay with yeah, you yeah. for a little bit. Just for a little bit. Out. We were very clear on the just for a little bit. And I, and the moment I walked, because I had already seen the place. So I knew I, there was no, no worry that I was going to stay there. How long had you been dating? A year. Okay. Yeah, okay. and it was long distance, so it was that was that moment where like it either falls off the cliff or someone. Well, Matt's moves. thinking yeah. of it. Late a few times. Yeah, no, no, no. This is Well played, Flanagan. Yeah. So I showed up at Matt's place. It looks like only the kind of hurricane that happens when like four consecutive bachelors live there and cycle through at various different times. It was a stinkhole of epic proportion. And I just walked in here, I was like, this place smells like farts and bad dreams. Oh. <laughs> it was just the, the worst. That's the name of Matt's bar. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of cocktails and dreams, it's uh, cocktails and I can't believe that bar closed down with it. <laughs> <laughs> Such a great name. Yeah, the health department was not too thrilled. 
So I tried, of course, like any girl who just moved across the country for some dude to totally make the best of it. I remember the one distinct moment I had, which was, I was like, I am going to wash the dishes. I mean, this is like standard moves. Like, if I could just see counter space, I'll feel better. (laughs) But their glassware was so cheap (laughs) that... I remember putting my hand in this one glass and with the sponge and turning it around <laughs> and the glass shattered and cut a circular no. hole, a perfect circle in my thumb. And if you doubt it, there it is. Oh, I see the scar. Yeah, it's literally like, it's a perfect Still circle. a scar. So I have been scarred by Matt Flanagan before I've even spent two days in LA. Do you yeah. know where the where it was from? Was it from Ikea or something? Oh, something? no. It was most <laughs> definitely from somebody's grandmother. Oh, yeah. From, like, just years ago. And it had worn away to the depth of isinglass. Like, it Flanagan was... Flanagan was probably like, don't throw it out. We can yeah. use it as we a We can use it again. I want to put it in storage. I'll shave with it. Yeah. <laughs> so I knew I needed my own place. So I had a girl that I got a, a place with in West Hollywood. And West Hollywood's really good for transplanted New Yorkers because you can kind of walk around and it's fine. And it was a nice two-bedroom, super cheap. It's like 500 bucks each for us, and that was great. So I followed my first sinking feeling of like, I cannot stay in Matt Flanagan's place, straight into this apartment as fast as humanly possible. And for the most part, it was lovely, except we didn't pay too much exact attention to what was on Santa Monica Boulevard, maybe 300 yards from my entrance to my apartment building. So it was really nice. We had a veterinarian. We had a lovely brunch place. Yeah. And we had a manic crazy open till 4 a.m. nightclub Mm. and people used to park down our block so it'd be really nice idyllic quiet west hollywood neighborhood all the way up until 2 2 30 when all of a sudden people would start streaming out of the club down my block and i'd be asleep but i would wake up to like the noises of somebody having a fight over the telephone about i don't even know what and the only phrase that is stuck in my head after all these years is a hot dog you set me up for five dollars and a hot dog. Like it was ridiculous. We would wake up and you would hear the sound of a man pissing in like our garage uh, area. Like, and I had an illegal cat, and I had a roommate that had this weird boyfriend who used to stand out in front of our window at two in the morning, calling for her, and going. And she had a real name, but he had a nickname for her, and so he would be outside the window going. Bananas. <laughs> like, it was not the way I wanted to live my life. So that was the second sinking feeling, which was, I cannot stay in this apartment. <laughs> and it just, with the roommate, it just kept getting worse and worse. So I was, How yeah. did you find this roommate? Well, she and I were friends from college. I took her to Europe. I took a bunch of my girlfriends to Europe after we graduated and tooled them around. And it mostly went great. This was the one who couldn't quite make it through Europe without getting scammed in some horrible way or another, (laughs) despite my best efforts. So this was not working out. So I started looking around for a third place. And this is all within... Were you thinking, I'm leaving Matt? I mean, honest to God, like I I was like, this has been traumatic and I'm having my own entry-level trauma into CBS News. And Matt Flanagan's the kind of guy who was like, hey, you moved out here, that's great. I don't want to hang out with you on Friday night because I'm hanging out with my boys. <laughs> I gotta hang out with my guy friends. So he was like, "You can't live with me, yeah. and you can't spend was, Friday nights." Yeah, okay. <laughs> he was young. <laughs> he was firmly under the belief that this was just casual dating that I had happened to move across the country out of utter convenience, and I didn't feel like alerting him that it was otherwise. So I started looking for another place. So I had this one editor who was like seeing my like mental decline over all this stuff going on in West Hollywood. He's like, I know a place. So I go and I check out this place and it's in Hollywood and it's this little tiny one bedroom house, kind of little houses that used to belong to the studios when actors were under contract Mm -hmm. and they had just had row and row and row these little tiny houses for their contract actors. It had vines growing on the front of this little tiny house. It had a yard that wrapped around the house with a orange tree, a lime tree, a peach tree, a fig tree, a separate office. And I was wow. just like, this is my place. There were yes, boot. Nice. Yeah, there were these yeah. bougainvillea hanging down from the. What is bougainvillea? Oh, bougainvillea. So, what is that? you know the bright red flower that you <gasps> see everywhere? Yeah. Yes. I've been dying to figure out what that is. Yeah. I've literally and it, asked and so it many is in people. trailing waves. It's Bougainvillea. Yes. 
Oh, it's man. gorgeous. I am so happy I asked that question. Yeah, <laughs> I almost I was like, don't ask it, Jess. No, 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 no. And it, it was like like gro- okay. overgrowing, like twenty years of overgrowth from our neighbor, other side neighbor's place. And I was just like, this is the place I have to have. I have to have this place. And then I asked how much it was, and that was my third sinking feeling, because it was wait for it, twelve hundred and fifty dollars a month. Yeah. 2003, just for me, which so my eyes, of course, immediately turned to my boyfriend now of two years and thinking like, well, hey, look at this nice office you could write in. And Matt was like, "Mm -mm. no, no. No commitment. Didn't want to do it. Had a place he was going to move in the valley. Yeah, you remember that guy. He was the guy that never answered your phone call. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Before prime minister. Yeah, it was before the prime minister. It was when he was a little cagier, a little harder to reach. And so... I told the editor, like, I'm not going to be able to afford this dream house because our boyfriend will move in with me. He's like, don't be a dumbass. Eat peanut butter and jelly and move in. And so I did. So I moved in. I was super poor. I didn't have any furniture. This was a dream house, and I was going to live here. And Matt Flanagan immediately fell in love with the place and found himself there quite often. And by often, I mean every single night. <laughs> um, without actually living there, without actually paying rent. And I put up with it for about four months. This is by now like 2003 into t- early 2004. And finally, I noticed this massive exodus of Diet Cokes from my refrigerator. This is, if you want to know what finally pushed Matt Flanagan over the line it was I would buy one of those big long cases of Diet Cokes and it would be gone like two days later I was like who could possibly drink that much Diet Coke and I was like alright so dude you're staying here every night you are drinking all my soda you're eating all my food and you're not paying any rent I was like goodbye you're out you're not allowed to be here anymore he says fine storms off yeah storms off goes back to his um, no offense to the guy he was living with, craptastic hole in the valley. Mm. Uh, <laughs> lasts exactly one night. Because then Matt Flanagan has a sinking feeling in his own stomach. That's like, that really is the place for me. And I, of course, was miserable because I was like, I just kicked the guy, moved out to the other. No, so he shows up contrite. That's good. Yeah, kick him out. That's the plan. There were conditions. There were conditions. (laughs) So there were several very specific conditions to this potential moving in arrangement. And the first was that I needed to get a storage unit so he could store his crap furniture, the glasses that cut my hands, right. and like the yeah. thin plastic plates. Giant and, plastic antlers. Yeah. <laughs> like the, nas- the nasty couch of no discussion. <laughs> all, lamps. Yeah, like all of that stuff would, and, and these very important cassette tapes. Like Matt Flanagan has a giant suitcase full of cassette tapes. Throw out you, you cannot. <laughs> You're absolutely right. You cannot I keep on rolling. That's right. That's right. So all of that went into a hundred and thirty dollar a month storage unit and Matt moved in and this is right around July of 2004. And I was like, finally April, April. He remembers. Big surprise. And I was like, finally I got my man in my house. I got a beautiful house. I got everything. And then, no joke, two months later, he got a job in New York City. Oh, man. Was that? Yep. That was Letterman. And so I was like, I did it. I got him that job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right now. Let the that was me, know. Nick Holly. <laughs> and so my perfect little arrangement moved off to New York City for a finite period of time. And I was there again by myself in this house. And now we were paying for like two rents. But. It was fine. Like, he ended up coming back, and we've been there actually ever since. Like, that is our still our home. Oh, you guys are still there? We're still there. We've nice. never left this home. It's really nice. And, and it's our little hideaway. I kept following that sinking feeling out the door from one place to another to another until I'd found our perfect home. Nice. Yeah. Where's Banana? Oh, yeah. bananas? <laughs> bananas and I had a pretty... <laughs> bananas! Plural, sorry. <laughs> bananas! 
was bananas. And I had a pretty severe falling out, and I don't know where she is, but if I ever walk into her, I probably will still turn away. And I don't walk away from anybody, but it was pretty... That story's bananas. That story is bananas. (laughs) And it's one of those stories that's like, one-year anniversary podcast. (laughs) I know, I want to hear this falling out. I know. I'll, I'll just put it this way. It was... It was a potentially legally actionable bond. And you haven't run into her since? No, I think she moved off the coast. But that was the thing, is like, if you just keep following that feeling, like that negative, awful, like this is, this is like, what, this is not right, this is not right. Hopefully, ideally, you land in the right place. Oh yeah, and and I am reminded that uh, fortunately, we only had to pay for that totally unnecessary storage unit for eight years. Oh no. What, how did you find it? Is it emptied now? Uh, it's gone now. I finally was like, this stuff is all. So all that stuff that you were storing, yeah. you just ended up throwing out. Oh, absolutely. No, for a while, the couch stayed in our yard. That was the transition. We had a yard couch for about three months until it rained. Typical Flanagan. Yeah. yeah. I, Flanagan does not want to get rid of. Classic the yard. Flanagan Classic yard Flanagan. Couch. Not want to get I rid of. the virtues of the yard couch. Yeah. It's very friends. Yeah. That yeah. outside couch. Yeah. You guys were splashing yeah. in a fountain. Yeah. yeah. It was super trashy. So yeah, that is how we ended up in our little lovely home where we actually got married. Got married in the backyard. And it's a really fabulous place. So yeah. Jenny, I feel like this could be a Diet Coke commercial. Bringing Bringing relationships together. together. Yeah. Diet Coke. Stumbled out of the desert. Fell into the sea. I was tossed around and spit back out. And landed on the beach. This is such a pretty song by Jason Caravan that we found at the Free Music Archive, but I figured I'd play some more of it for you as I admit that I left out a crucial part of my story. While we were having a blast making fun of Matt Flanagan, he was politely declining to mention that when I first moved out to California, I was a total nightmare. I was insecure, out of my element, prone to throwing hairbrushes through plate glass windows. Me now would never want to move in with me then, so I can understand why 2003 Matt didn't want to either. But whether it was for Diet Coke or the peach tree or maybe even love, he eventually took that leap of faith, and I'm very grateful that he did, because if we are going to go full Diet Coke commercial on this interstitial, it turns out Home isn't just the place you live. My sinking feeling is not about Matt Flanagan. All right, that's probably for the best. Yeah, uh, Flanagan's only uplifting. (laughs) Eventually. (laughs) Eventually. So... I'm going to tell kind of an innocent story. Starting at an early age, my bedroom was next Angle. to the attic. And I removed the floorboards, some of the floorboards in the attic, and installed some old closet doors. Now, where doors was this? What's... In upstate New York. Okay. A good question, because this plays into it. Rural, out in the country. Then I had a rope ladder that I tied to the beams, and I would sneak out at night. So I did this from 10 on. But around the time I was 15, things got progressing of what you would do when you would sneak out. Mm-hmm. So I, <laughs> No longer picking blackberries. In no, no. I, I, like I would like going for a candy bar. <laughs> <laughs> it was just basically things like, you know, robbing nursing homes or killing, <laughs> killing foreigners. Torturing yeah, yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> just Yeah. So at 15... I'd sneak out, and what I started to do was steal my parents' car, and I'd meet buddies. Or most often, we'd steal uh, one of my friends' parents' cars at 15. So no driver's license, anything. We lived in the country, and we we would drive around our small town. How did you get the car out of the house without anybody waking up? Great question. Both these cars we would steal are stick, so you'd have to roll them away. Now, my buddy, I, I had to walk almost you know, I'd say half, three quarters of a mile to his house through fields. That's Mm -hmm. how rural we were. Mm -hmm. And he had a 300-yard driveway, and we'd roll it down and pop the clutch and start it at the end. And his name was Roger. And Roger had really strict parents. Mm. So on this night, 
We I hope Roger hears this, by the way. I hope, yeah. And this is like, his parents are finally hearing this for the first time. I hope time. his parents his parents still might get mad at him. <laughs> so Roger's the type of guy, he's the nicest guy in the world. Years later, he was visiting me at college, and my college buddies were like, what's Roger like? I'm like, he's the nicest guy in the world. And after he left, they were like, God, that Roger guy's really nice. <laughs> One, one of my friends in high school said about Roger, he's the only guy I know who could get caught cheating on a take-home test. Okay. So anyway, we stole Roger's car, or his parents' car, and we're driving this route that we called Route 1. And we wanted to do 1A. Route 1 was we drive by all the hot girls in our high school's houses <laughs> at 3 in the morning and honk. And like, the next day I'd be at school, like, you hear that honk? Yeah, yeah, that was us. Yeah, yeah. Sophisticated boarding routines yeah. of the upstate New York But it was kind of cool mail. because we were 15 and we had the car. And we're yeah. honking. <laughs> and 1A was a little longer because one of the hot girls lived off the route, so we had to go farther away. So if we did 1A, we'd be like, you know, really, really I out for the I love your original names of 1 and 1A. One <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Systematic. We are, yeah, 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 efficient. So we're on 1. We're going for 1A. And this is a small town, three in the morning, no one's out, and we pass a church and I see a cop in the church parking lot, and the cop pulls out and starts to follow us. Whoop, whoop. Roger's not speeding. Roger would yeah. get caught cheating on a take-home test. He's yeah. not, he'll steal a car, but he's not gonna speed. <laughs> so Roger begins to panic, and when Roger panics, he makes this gurgling sound like, oh, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> Oh God! Oh God! And I'm like, just, just relax, dude. You're not speeding. Everything's all right. Roger drives about a half a mile up the road with the cop following him. No one else on the street in our small town. And there's a red light. Roger stops at the red light, looks both ways, and proceeds to run it. Okay. Oh, with the Roger. cop behind him. With the cop right behind us. Oh. But he runs it at a blistering speed of a half mile an hour. <laughs> And while he's running it, he does play-by-play going in his gurgling, oh, God, I'm running it. I'm running it. Oh, I'm running it. And I'm like, yeah, you're fucking running it, dude. What are you doing? And not only is he running it, he's like going diagonal. And I'm like trying to straighten him out, but his like rigor mortis hand won't let the wheel move. And I'm like, we're dead. We're dead. And I look in the side view mirror, and the cop is like, the fuck are these two yahoos? He puts on his sirens and then exits the squad car, mm. deciding to enter the pursuit on foot. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and, slow ride. and he catches us. He catches us three quarters of the way through the intersection yeah. as Rogers now nose diving into a ditch. And the cop is like banging on the rolling car, and Roger's like, What do I do? What do I do? Oh, God. I pull up my hood. And just only have my eyes exposed like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. And I'm like, you shut up. I'll do all the talking. Oh. Right? So, that, so Roger rolls down the window and the cop says, where are you guys going? And I'm like, officer, we're just going home. Uh, sorry to you know, cause any disturbance. He's like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and he asks Roger where we, uh, you know, where is he coming from? And Roger says, work. Now it's three in the morning. We're 15. If we were working, it would be slave labor and illegal. You say, very, yeah. very small blonde <laughs> <right>. prostitutes. <laughs> so there's a sinking feeling going on in this, right? Yeah. Starting when Roger's running the red light. And so the cop says to Roger, where do you work? And Roger says, the mall. And I'm like, holy <laughs> shit. Now I start, yeah, I'm like gurgling <laughs> yeah. at this point. I'm right. like, oh, God, Roger. And, and the cop says, where at the mall? And Roger says, you know, the mall. <laughs> And so I just, I just chime in. I'm like, listen, whatever trouble we're going to get into, Roger's father is going to get us in way worse trouble. Somehow, Obi-Wan works. The cop lets us go. He goes, drive straight home. Wow. I'll never forget that. Wow. So I almost have Roger on the way home. The cop tails us for about right. two miles, and when he pulls off. I almost have Roger go back out and finish 1A, which was my, which was my mission. You missed the really hot girl. I missed the really hot girl. But we didn't. Roger called it a night. I walk through the fields. I go back home, and the rope ladder is up, and the closet doors are closed. Oh. So kind of a sinking feeling, because after five years of me doing this, 
the jig is up. Right. So I go around to the front of the house and the doors open. That's a sinking feeling too because <laughs> they, <laughs> they know. Yeah. But you go in that door and still the door to get into the house is locked but they left the laundry room door where there's a couch. They left that open. So I go in around you know four in the morning and fall asleep on the couch. And shortly after, my parents come in to do laundry, which is something we'd never do at four right. in the morning, right? Yeah. And they don't say anything. Yeah. They just look at me and they say, hey. They say, hey, and they leave. And that was the worst sinking feeling uh-huh. because yeah. they didn't have to say anything and it was over. Yeah. yeah. So. It's that disappointing. Yeah. You know, when the parents are like, we're not mad, we're disappointed. It was just horrible. Uh. It was horrible. So was this Roger's only brush with crime? No, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. The nicest guy in the world did things like get caught for leaving a vodka bottle. Or someone else left it in his truck at the dance and police came and arrested Roger. Oh. So he, he had yeah. all kinds of things. What I like about this story is that from an early age at 15, you were negotiating other people's contracts. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It was wise. Roger should not have been talking to the cop. Yeah. <laughs> I like that you were you had immediately stepped up and were the representation in that situation. Roger, I got this. Yeah, Roger, I got this. <laughs> My favorite part of the story is that you were like, okay, everybody be cool. And then he runs a red light, and then you put your hoodie up, which are like two crazy, suspicious, delinquent-looking <laughs> things. Like, I don't want to be recognized. Yeah. I had a reputation in that town of 10,000. Yeah. <laughs> were there any parental repercussions from this event? No. They just were just That was it, and yeah. it was done, and you know, I couldn't sneak out anymore that way. Yeah. Did you find another way to sneak out? I, I probably waited about a month. Uh, a whole month, but yeah. Respectable. Yeah. <laughs> then, and then it just got to uh, James Dean Nick as a teenager. He'd be like, I'm fucking leaving. So where would this rank on the Nick Holly young man scale of trouble? Is this a, a, more like a five, a ten? Being what? what's worse? So like zero would be I stayed home and I left the TV on too loud and 11 would be like, I'm in uh, jail. This is so innocent. <laughs> This is all you're getting out of me. All right. <laughs> I'm not even on Facebook. I'm not, uh, nice try. <laughs> um, when was the last time you saw or talked to Roger? Probably like two weeks ago. Oh, oh no he's way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a great guy. Our high school soccer coach died, so we all we all got together kind of in, uh, in cyberspace mm-hmm. and, and had a toast for him. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Roger yeah. is a good guy. He really is. Roger's a nice best. guy. <laughs> is, uh, is Roger like head of the World Bank these days? Like, is he just like a total multinational conglomerate type guy? Roger's this code for Barack Obama. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah. I like that story because I didn't grow up with that kind of rural thing. Like, in New York City, like, the big adventure would be. I'm going to walk down 87th Street instead of 86th right. in like the late 80s. I'm just going to walk real fast. Um, I did not grow up with that kind of carefree. It was bonfires by the lake. Right. S- skipping school and fishing type of type So of basically area. like yeah. Tom Sawyer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Now, Jess, do you have any stealing moments? Nick stole cars, borrowed. Borrowed, yeah. I have one stealing moment, and it's so silly. I was like seven, and I grew up in Florida, and they have the the lottery there. I guess they have that in lots of states. Uh, you know, the, the, you know this thing called the lottery. Yeah. And they no, have, tell me more. You guys know this thing, right? So they have these lottery tickets, you know, and you fill them out with the pencils, and they have those little like half pencils that don't have the eraser; they're like cut off. Mm-hmm. And I took one, and they're totally. Free. You can take them, but I didn't know that. And I was like, I got home and I was really nervous and I was seven <laughs> and I went in my backyard and I dug a little hole and I put the pink pencil in it and I buried it and I was like, yes, no one's ever going to know. And that's the only time I've stolen anything. <laughs> and I don't even think it really counts. Yeah. Do you think that pencil is still there? I hope so. Yeah. I hope someone found it and like, it's a cool Roger treasure. would have been arrested for that. <laughs> The only experience I had with stealing was my elementary school, the popular kids were also like 
definite had a law-breaking element to them and so there was a uh, like a phase in like third grade or something where everybody was stealing money out of their parents wallets and you know they'd take a 20 here and a 20 there and they'd come to school with bags of candy and it was all very hip hip she she and in my one moment of like elementary school weakness I stole a $20 bill out of my mom's wallet. And the only problem with that was that was our actual food budget for the week. So she noticed. Um, and I, and, you know, she confronted me about it. And I, I had no choice but to say that I did. And so that year there was no Easter basket. And that was the last time I ever did anything. Oh, I know. Harsh, it was serious consequences. Yeah. It was a... It was a definite, oh, yeah, we are poor. You're the sirens. Yeah, yeah they're coming. Yeah. They know. They're coming for you. They're already coming <laughs> for me. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, that pencil's been haunting me my whole life. Oh. <laughs> How did your parents discipline Nick? Gosh, they couldn't really do it to me as I got older. Mm-hmm. Uh, discipline could be, I guess, not getting something, not being able to go out and play when I was younger. As, Would they ground you? Yeah, were they like kind of, but the, ground, but they were academic, so they hated the word grounding. Mm. But I'm like, this is, ba- you're keeping me in my room, let's just call it grounding. And they're like, oh, Nick, <laughs> such a trite term. <laughs> I was born on a stone, when I get gone, I get gone, and I don't need any one to know better. Your faith in the doubt or take the roof off the house. We don't need gravity to get down. Yeah. Hey! I went to a hold up. college in Florida. A hold up. And I moved to New York a hold up. Uh, right after. So I was 22. Like I said, I had grown up in a small town in Florida. So I was the classic small town girl in the big city super innocent but I kind of thought I was really hardcore and then I met a lot of people and I was like oh no I'm not hardcore at all <laughs> and I killed someone I stole a pencil <laughs> <laughs> where I was uh, exactly roughly where in New York City were you Greenwich Village classic on McDougal Street okay I moved into this like shitty one bedroom with my college roommate and converted it into a two bedroom and I didn't have any money. I didn't have a job. So I was like, okay, I need to get a job. So I started working at the Comedy Cellar, which was right across the street from where I lived. So I could walk down there. Wow. That's um, the one that Louis walks down into yeah, on yeah. the opening of his credits. Yes. It was really cool. He used to come in all the time, like before the show. And he films a lot of the show there. Okay. So I was a young woman in New York, very innocent, aspiring actress. And I was waiting tables that night. So I was like, man, I need to kind of get into the acting world. And I had no idea how to do it. (laughs) So I was like, I'm going to go on Craigslist, (laughs) which is like the biggest mistake. Awesome. (laughs) But I was like, okay, I'm smart. I'm college educated. I know how to pick and choose what's dirtbaggy. And I'd heard stories and stuff. So I was scrolling Craigslist one afternoon, and I found this listing, and it was <laughs> seeking young women to be models, which is the oh. ultimate don't do it thing. <laughs> um, but it was one of those things where it was like, looked pretty legit. It was a photographer. <laughs> it was a photographer. This was a scene in Fame. <laughs> I'm just retelling the fame story, claiming it as my own. (laughs) So I won't name any names, but I looked up the name of the photographer, and this guy actually had a book, and he had photographed some celebrities. Obviously, he's legit. And the project was that he was looking for people who had an old Hollywood look. He wanted to photograph modern women and dress them up like older previous celebrities like from the 20s and 30s and by dress them up that means wear nothing (laughs) (laughs) and also we moved into the LA Confidential plot I'm just taking bits from movies guys (laughs) totally true story I sent in my picture very innocent picture nothing like crazy not like a body shot or anything like a headshot and they got back in touch with me and they were like cool we'd like you to come to this hotel (laughs) but it was in the lobby and it was a nice hotel and I don't remember the name of it but it was one of the classy hotels in New York was it near the park I think it was yeah I remember I had to travel uptown (laughs) and so I was living with my roommate by where you used to live (laughs) and it was Jenny when I showed up (laughs) right to the left (laughs) and it was a 10 a.m. meeting and breakfast and coffee so I was like cool this will be totally safe 
and I was being extra cautious and I asked my friend who was also my roommate if she would come with me just to have backup. Because on Craigslist you always go in twos. You That's always go in role. twos. I don't care if you're buying a dresser or yeah. if you're doing a modeling shoot, you always go in twos on <laughs> Craigslist. This has been The More You Know. <laughs> so she was like, yeah, of course I'll come with you. So we get on the subway, we go uptown, we go into this thing and we're waiting in the lobby and there were other women there and like, super legit. Some guy comes out to the lobby and he was kind of calling us in like one at a time to this breakfast table in the other room. And so I went in and the photographer guy was there and then there was another guy there. And I was like, okay, who's this guy? He was wearing a ski mask, really weird. No, he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't. He's wearing a suit and so we were chatting for a bit and they were talking about the project. So this other guy ends up being, and I won't say any names, but he ends up being, he founded one of those trashy magazines, like you know, like, Maxim. no, 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 like an Us Weekly or those kind of right. false celebrity news. And he's the guy backing the project. So he's funding this book that this photographer's making with these women. So it seemed pretty fine still. And they were like, great, we really like you. We were kind of chatting for a bit, laughing. And then they were like, we're doing a dinner tonight. And we're going to, for the few girls that we select, we're going to have like a dinner and, and we'll talk about the project some more and, and give you all the details. Are you free? And I was like, yeah, totally. And I didn't have any money too. So I was like, man, I'm going to make like a few hundred bucks. I'm going to get a free dinner. This is going to be great. So I go out to my friend who's waiting in the lobby. I tell her everything that's going on. She was like, cool. So I go home. I get dressed for the dinner that night. And I wore a sensible black Audrey Hepburn cocktail dress. Right. Nothing crazy. And keep in mind, pearls? I'm still... Did you have pearls? I didn't have pearls. Okay. I was from Florida, so, like, no one has pearls. <laughs> <laughs> but it was my best necklace from Forever 21. And I was like, okay, this is fine. This is great. So we were, we were all meeting at the hotel again. So we, we meet at the hotel, and it's me and... I think there were ten girls total. So it was oh. me and nine other <laughs> girls. And then it was these two guys again. And so I was like, okay, like, where are we going for dinner? And they're like, no, 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 we're going to have cocktails first. And I was like... Okay, so we all go. <laughs> we all go into the lobby bar, and we sit around. The two and guys they, and the ten girls. The two guys and the ten girls, and the guys were older, and the girls were all like twenty-two. So we go in, and they order all this champagne and kind of all this stuff. And Jenny's like, rolling her eyes. Matt's really intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes. I'm just giving you play by play. At the dudes, I'm rolling my eyes oh, at yeah. these older dudes. And I'm imagining in my mind what's going on in the mind of each 22-year-old woman. Yeah, were you becoming <laughs> friends with these girls when being like, what do you think's going on at this point? No. So I only met the other girls when we all met in the lobby that night. Like, we hadn't spoken earlier. We all sort of met in the lobby and then quickly went in for drinks. So this was and the lobby bar is when my first sinking feeling happened. I was sort of like, great, so started talking about the project and everyone was like, no, 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 we'll talk about that later. And I was like, Whoa. oh, well, this is weird. And so all the other girls were sort of really giggly and kind of sexy and keep in mind again, I'm this sort of innocent Florida girl who was really wanted to talk about the work and talk about oh. my acting experience. And at one point, uh, one of the girls was talking about acting and one of the guys was like, oh yeah, what sort of actor would you like to be? And she was like, I don't know. I sort of feel like I want to be like a Paris Hilton or a Cameron Diaz. And then they were like, what about you? And I was like, oh, like a Meryl Streep, like a Julian Moore. And everyone was kind of like, oh, this girl's weird. Um, <laughs> I had that feeling that women get sometimes, but young women don't know to get the hell out because you're still like, oh, I want to be nice. I can't really leave. And, and it wasn't totally weird yet. So we finished drinks. And I didn't want to drink too much because I didn't want to get drunk. So they had cars waiting outside, two Escalades, and we all piled into these Escalades. And we went to this really expensive sushi sort of place. And the guys were ordering for everyone and getting really flirty. And there was when I got... Wait a minute, wait a minute. What's really flirty? Define. I remember... They would be like, oh, come come sit by me. Sort of things like that that you're like, oh, no, closer. Yeah, yeah, come, oh, come sit over here. And they were sort of making the rounds, sitting by each of the women. And it was during that dinner that I realized with a big sinking feeling, holy shit, I'm somebody's escort for the night. Oh. <laughs> and I realized that these guys wanted to go out with a bunch of young women. And no one would ever talk about this project. 
but I still felt so weird to leave, which now as a more grown woman, I would be like, oh, I'm out of here. No problem. But at the right. time I was like, oh, I didn't want to, how do I leave? I don't know what to do. The dinner was kind of ending and one of the girls left. So I was like, okay, I can leave now. I'm not going to be the first During one. the dinner, were you bonding with any of the other girls? Was there talk Was about- there a sense that you guys were competing for a job or did that were they in the know? No, I don't think they were in the know, but I think they were a little more savvy. Of These were girls who, had, they were like working it. Maybe they had been actors since they were teens or kind of knew that flirty sort of They bought into the premise of this scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think they totally knew the project was out, but they didn't care. Oh, I'm going to be all sexy and, you know, whatever. The acquisition of contact with a 50-year-old rich man was a worthy goal (laughs) in and of itself for that particular evening. All right, I got it. It's good to hear that's a worthy goal. (laughs) (laughs) And you guys are saying it is for me. Nick's like, okay, what exactly did they say in the ad? Can I place my own? I like them poor and sort of hostile. I I like them poor and grumpy. (laughs) So this one girl left, so I was like, great, I'm going to leave. They were getting the same feeling you were. At least one other girl was. Right. So this one girl left. So then I was like, okay, I can leave now too. I was talking to one girl who was sitting next to me for most of the dinner and we had exchanged numbers. We went to the bathroom together and I was like, this is kind of weird. And she was like, yeah, I don't know. Like she wasn't fully there yet. So we exchanged numbers. And so after this first girl left, I left. And I got home and I told my roommate, man, that was really weird. I'm so glad I'm out of there. I'm so glad it's over. So I get a text from this other girl like two hours later. She stayed. She was the last one there. Like all the other girls had left. She ended up going to this bar with them. And she was like, oh, they gave me all this money and they're going to buy me an iPhone. And this was when iPhones were first super, nobody had iPhones yet. And she's like, but I'm on my way home. It's totally cool. The next day. I got up, went about my day, and I went to work at the Comedy Cellar. And I went in at 5 p.m. or something. It was like that sort of early evening into the night shift. And one of the bartenders, about an hour into my shift, was like, Jess, someone's on the phone for you. And I was like, who's calling me at work? Uh. And he was like, I don't know, it's some guy. And I was like, well, ask who it is. So he asked, and they were like, oh, we know Jessica. We went out with her last night. Because at some point in the evening, I guess I had told them, oh, I work at the Comedy Cellar. So they were calling my work. I was like, "Uh, Mike, that was the bartender. I was like, Mike, just tell him I'm not here or like I'm too busy, I can't come to the phone or whatever. So he did. Then about an hour later, they show up at my work with a bouquet of flowers and $200. (gasps) And they were like, oh, you didn't get your money last night. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. And I had to take the flowers and everyone at work was like, what's going on? Like, who are these guys? Because there's nothing like having an awkward social situation in front of a bunch of highly observant comedians. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh my God, exactly. Well, luckily it was like early Jim enough. Jim Norton's like, who the fuck are these guys? <laughs> hey, Heidi Fleiss. Oh yeah. yeah. They were <laughs> and Jim Norton probably was there that night. Luckily, I think it was early enough that the comedy show hadn't quite started. You know, this was probably like seven o'clock or whatever. So they came in, they gave me two hundred dollars did you take the money I took the money good I took the money because I was like he just handed it to me and I was like well I'm broke and I, I didn't do anything sleazy so whatever I'll take the money so technically I got paid two hundred dollars to go out with these two men one night wow and that is how I accidentally became an escort for them and they they just left no so they stayed they stayed for the set they stayed for like a drink and then they were like what time do you get off work and I was like oh no I'm working so late so they finally left, and I think they asked for my number, and I gave them, like, a fake number or something. And then I never saw them again. So that Let was Let me it. ask you, what if they gave you a million dollars? Then we would be a lot of a totally what's the different question? What year, in what year was this? Uh, this would have been eight years ago. Okay. So a mil- oh, would I have taken a million dollars? Fuck yes. <laughs> Single lady. But I wouldn't have I wouldn't have had sex for it. Yeah. But I feel like the problem is is that they were the entry level situation and if you accept the two hundred dollars, inevitably at some point you end up on a plane that's being flown by a Saudi prince. Yeah, definitely a Saudi prince. So it's probably good to curb that particular life path at that point. I feel like you've ended up in a much better place than, you know, locked in the the special room of a 
Boeing Dreamliner. Yes, and I did consider it. Yeah. No, I didn't. <laughs> I think there was so honesty that was a, in that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, 22 years old in New York City is no joke. The rent is no joke. And I'm actually really glad I had that experience because... From then on, I was Miss New York skeptical young woman, and I was like, nobody's fucking with me now. Yeah. And so it was kind of a good first situation like that, because it could have gone a lot worse, and it didn't, so it sort of was the beginning of me being, okay, I need to like watch myself. A little tougher. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that sort of weird harem thing, because Matt and I like to go to a particular spa. Mm. And <laughs> knows this story. Remember, this is going on Where the internet. Where is this going? You'll see. It's a very nice spa on Santa Monica Boulevard. It's a Russian banya. It's a very classy version of Russian banya. It's like as if they took the thing from Eastern Promises where Viggo Mortensen fights naked with a dude, and they just upscaled it. So it's very pretty, beautiful light, nice pool. And we like to go there for special occasions, get a nice massage, hang out, do the steam room, all that stuff. But one time we were there, this big, fat, hairy Russian dude comes in with 15 women, all of whom weigh probably 100 pounds or less, and all of whom are in the bikinis, and all of whom are high as a kite, and he is directing them all around, like, come, sit, come, jump in cold plunge, go in uh, steam room, go do a blink, yeah. don't be beaten by reeds. And it was so, as like two relatively normal people in Hollywood who are like there for their special evening of massages and getting smoothies at the pool, like this was such an eye-opening, disturbing window into all the things that we have so far successfully avoided to me like you and and i was born and raised in new york and yet was still managed to retain the blend of skepticism and cynicism and also little innocence but just seeing that sort of thing and like i can't imagine actually finding yourself involved in sort of definitely the very pg version of that this is like a known deal Right. This is a no yeah. It's really disgusting. It exists. Yeah. It, you ran into it. You ran yeah. into it. It's there. Yeah, it's amazing how many women have stories like this. You're kind of like, dudes are creeps. Yeah. <laughs> Not all dudes, um, but like definitely so everyone in this room. In this story, <laughs> just in this story, at yeah. what point did Nick and Roger drive by and honk the horn? <laughs> <That> was, <laughs> well, the blow to this story is that it was Nick and Roger. They were the two men, actually, <laughs> with the escorts. <laughs> oh, that's the story that goes no, on yeah. the line. Wait, the real one, like yeah. two, two nice kids who just want to honk. Yeah. Can't get the time all day. Yeah. But yes. a couple of perverts that paid $200 uh, on flowers, you're out the dinner yeah. with them. Yeah. Those no guys justice. lose. There's no justice. But to be fair, I didn't know about the money. I'll see you in the banya. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are um, you naked in the... No, it's so the pool area is co-ed, so it's bathing suits. So you basically have like tall actors and their beautiful girlfriends in like the tiniest amount of clothing possible. And then me in like my bathing costume, like in the shower, I'm like, this is lovely. <laughs> we are not the classiest people, but we do bring the best books. <laughs> Well, there you have it. Three completely different versions of that sinking feeling. What I love most about this podcast is that I spent an hour with two people who I really only knew before by their labels. Nick has always been the manager, and Jess is that lovely girlfriend. But now, after telling stories and laughing it up, I feel like I know them just a little bit better in their own right. Thanks to Alex Cook for the great theme music. And please do go check out Alex at Jason Caravan and Toussaint Morrison. I've got a lot of links in the show notes. The discovery of such great musical storytelling has been another joy of this podcast. Stay tuned for some behind the scenes stuff coming up right now. This is a part of the show where I read the three jokes that during over the course of the podcast that I was typing to Jenny that Jenny <laughs> was afraid to say. And I'll just read them completely out of context. Uh, Stand still. I want to yell bananas into your vagina. <laughs> Good move, Jenny. Good move. Good one. Yeah. Number two. Now, at what point did the doll from Saw appear? Good <laughs> story. And, yeah. And the final one. One million dollars to bury my tiny pencil. <laughs> that's what I didn't get. Oh, that's amazing. Wait a minute. You're feeding 
your jokes so right now? After great. all these yeah. years, yeah. after all yeah. these years of me editing Matt Flanagan and, and working on his stories and, and, and doing all the, the hard work that wives do, now I have my own writer. Yes. So mm. everyone the jokes are hers. I, sure, I, I, sure. Uh, you reveal me as a puppet. That's fine. No, <laughs> <laughs> no but it's really nice because like it's nice to have a. It's I'm new. I'm relatively new at this, so it's super nice to have a second eye on the project, like a producer, which is what I have been for people over these years. So it's a new avenue for me. I could tell sinking feelings about your first pitch and things. <laughs> I feel like I feel like this episode needs to be renamed That Sinking Feeling Matt Got when he realized who was on the podcast. He really needs a microphone. For all you out there, and there are yous out there, thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next week. And oh, I forgot, we have one new cool thing. Are you ready for this? We now have a phone number. Because uh, on the most recent episode that you may or may not have heard, a very short episode, episode 8.5, Matt Flanagan almost gave out his personal phone number over the internet. <laughs> Classic Flanagan. Classic Flanagan move. Don't um, worry, he won't answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to combat this, this, uh, this temptation of Matt giving out phone numbers, uh, I created a Google Voice number for all of you out there. If you have a story that you think should be at the end of this uh, podcast or maybe as an interstitial, you can call us at ready for this nine two zero story me. Wow. Yeah, had to go to Wisconsin for that one, but yeah, that's a Wisconsin nine two zero story me. And if you prefer numerical, it's nine two zero seven eight six seven nine six three. If you call that number, anything you say may be used on this podcast. So talk wow. to you next week. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs>